Lord, we worship you. Amen. Lord, from the depth of our being. Amen. Because you are God. Amen. In your sovereignty and compassion, Amen. you have gathered us together this weekend. Amen. From all over the Midwest area. Amen. Lord, we're here in the churches. Amen. Lord, your seekers. Amen. Not only your believers, but your seekers. Amen. And Lord, we like to say we're also your lovers, Amen. your followers. Amen. We're here gathered by you Amen. to follow the Lamb again, where, wherever he may go. Amen. This morning, we're here to exalt you Amen. as the Lamb of God. Amen. Worthy is the Lamb. Amen. This morning, we like to start this weekend conference with praise. Amen. We're not here just begging and praying. We're here praising. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We're here to praise our God. We're here to praise the Lord. We're here to bless you together. We're here to speak well of you. We want to enthrone you amidst our praises. Lord, we love you. You are worthy. This morning, we trust in you. We look to you. Amen. Even you are the Lord of all. Amen. King of kings. Amen. You are the head of the body. Amen. Even the savior of it. Amen. Lord, you're surely the leader of your recovery. Amen. This morning here, we exercise our spirit Amen. to join with you. Amen. To be one with you. Amen. Even to be one with your heart and one with your move. Amen. We pray from the very outset. Come and fill us with your spirit. Amen. Come and pour your spirit upon us. Amen. Our prayer to you, Lord, is still revive us. Amen. O Jehovah, Amen. in the midst of these years, Amen. in the midst of these seasons, Amen. in the midst of these days, Amen. restore us. Amen. Restore the churches. Amen. Restore all the saints Amen. in your wrathful compassion. Let your face shine on us again. Amen. Restore us to yourself. Amen. Restore us to the joy of our salvation. Amen. Restore us to the jubilee. Amen. Restore us into that ecstasy. Amen. Restore us to that rest. Amen. Restore us to the good land, Amen. which is you yourself as our full possession. Amen. You yourself as our divine inheritance. Amen. You yourself as our heavenly allotment. Amen that Christ would be our everything. Amen. Restore us to that. Amen. Restore us to yourself. Amen. Fill us with yourself. Amen. Lord, we pray that you will be our full enjoyment, Amen. our full satisfaction. Amen. And Lord, deliver us. Amen. Free us Amen. from every kind of captivity, Amen. every kind of oppression, Amen. every kind of depression. Amen. Release us from sin. Amen. Release us from the world. Amen. Release us from the devil himself. Amen. Release us into you. Amen. Oh, we claim this freedom. Amen. We proclaim liberty throughout the land. Amen. Even the land of the United States. Amen. We say liberty has come. Amen. Jubilee is here. Hallelujah. 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 We're here to blow that trumpet. Amen. We're here to sound that horn. Amen. And it's a susceptible year of the Lord. Amen. The day of salvation. Amen. 
has arrived again. We pray for a new season, a new times, a new age in your recovery in this country. As you did something 50 years ago, do this again. And then more of that, much more than that. We look forward to this. Oh, we fill with anticipation. We thank you, Lord. Visit every saint sitting here, every heart here. May all the hearts be open. May all the spirits be released. May all the tongues be loose. We're here to just enjoy you, to hear you once again. Have your way, Lord. Amen. 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 Well, um, by the Lord's sovereignty, we're having this, actually, I consider a very special weekend uh, uh, here in Chicago. And um, I almost like to not follow the same kind of routine or, um, you know, the way we know how to have conferences. I'm not here trying to... Um, do something strange or just do something different. But I look to the Lord's spirit to really visit us. Because, brothers and sisters, he's all we need. Amen. What we need really is not just another message or another conference. What we desperately, deeply need is his personal visit. What we really need is his presence. In Psalms um, 80, which really is a psalm on a cry. It is a cry. More than even just a prayer, but a cry uh, of the psalmist on behalf uh, of Israel to Jehovah for revival, for restoration. And three times in that psalm, uh, this cry was uttered. O God of hosts, restore us and cause your face to shine and we will be saved. Whenever we have the face of God, that is the day of salvation. Whenever we have the open face of Christ, I now remember in 2 Corinthians that we would come to him with an unveiled face as a mirror to behold him. That means to see him face to face. Whenever we have Christ's face. That is the moment of real transformation. From glory to glory, even as from the Lord's spirit. Because the face of God is the presence of God. Actually, the face of God to us today is simply his spirit. So this is our real need. Our real need today, personally, and together in the local churches, 
and even more collectively in the Lord's recovery, I submit is that face, is his personal appearance, is the spirit coming to us in a present way and in a fresh way. So I look to the Lord to do that and I would like to implore all of us this weekend during the meetings and the singing, the prayer, the testimonies, even our times outside of this ballroom, all of, all of us would be seeking his face. And all of us would be touching his spirit in a new way, in a fresh way. Then we would experience some revival or a revival. Talking about revival, of course, that famous verse um, in Habakkuk was what? Was, O Jehovah, revive us in the midst or revive the work of your hands. Revive your work in the midst of the years. So our prayer is firstly that the Lord would revive us. It's not too much for you to pray, Lord, revive me. That is an absolute legitimate and necessary prayer. In fact, we really should pray that prayer every morning. Am I right? And even every moment, Lord, revive me. Um, but together, when we pray, we pray, Lord, revive your work. Not only we need to be revived, but his work, God's work, which has to do with his economy, which has to do with his move, which has to do with his testimony. That also needs revival. And so, brothers and sisters, this is what is in my heart. And that is, Lord, revive your work. And I would like to even be more specific than that this weekend. And that is, revive your work in these United States. Why? Because we're here. This is our nation. This is where the Lord has placed us in his sovereignty. Whether we were born here or some of us, including myself, we moved here. But in any event, we're all part of this land. We're all part of this great country. And as we will get into the outlines this morning, a most special nation that God has raised up in the last of the ages to facilitate his particular move to what? Bring an end to the present age and to usher in the next. We will talk about this. But before we talk about this, I would ask all of us to pray for this. To pray for this. Yesterday, 
was a special memorial for Senator John McCain, an American hero, an American patriot, who has earned, I would say dearly, that honor from his fellow citizens. I certainly honor him uh, as an American. And I watched some of the, that gathering they had when he lied in state on the rotunda in the Capitol, surrounded by the Senate, the Congress, and the various officials of the executive branch, and so on, of course, his family. I'm not just awed by those proceedings, those formalities, the circumstance. I find myself very inspired, much like about barely six months ago, or a little bit more, when another man lied there, and that would be Mr. Billy Graham. Same thing. And a similar kind of proceeding is taking place. And I watched that in full. What I'm trying to say this morning, brothers and sisters, is not to talk about that. But I regret that any more in this country, it seems, that the times when the elected people, those who represent us, the people in this country, um, would invoke God's name, would give God that recognition, and would even have that freedom to not be so-called politically correct, to exalt, to praise the name of Jesus Christ. It's in the, these rare moments. Outside of these moments, it seems, this country has become godless in the public arena, in the political arena, it seems that way. And that is what inspired me uh, yesterday again. There was a moment besides some of these eulogies or whatever you call them, when a certain gentleman there um, gave the so-called benediction <clears throat> at the end of that service. And much like what they do in a president's inauguration, you know, at the end there's some clerics or pastors or priests, whatever, would pray. <clears throat> As formal those occasions are, and somewhat religious occasions those, those would be. Brothers and sisters, it is not a small thing that in this country we still do that. 
And so yesterday, that benediction was a good one. Particularly, there was, it ended up, it ended with a praise to God. The praise that you will find in the book of Revelation. To God be the glory, be the might, be the blessing, be the wisdom. And that prayer, that praise was offered in the name of the Redeemer of John McCain. And that is Jesus Christ, our Lord. For that to be set, to be proclaimed from that rotunda inspires me. Brothers and sisters, this is a special country, the United States. No, I'm not here on some bandwagon or soapbox to make America great again. <laughs> We're not in that realm aren't we? We're not. We're not political. We're not doing those things gathered here in the churches. We're in another realm. We are citizens of another country. Amen. We're heavenly people. Amen. We're all subjects of the kingdom of God. Amen. So we don't belong here. We're in a different place. Yet on the other hand, my dear saints, it pleased God that he would plan according to his sovereign plan, would raise up nations and demote them, raise up leaders and cast them out according to his pleasure. No one has anything to say about that because only he owns that authority. But he does not do that willy-nilly. Like some people would think God is just playing chess and moving pieces about. No. God is a God of wisdom and purpose. God is a God of plan and economy. God has a goal to achieve. God has something in his heart, a desire that he wished to accomplish. And for that, he appointed times and seasons. Everything is clockwork, maybe not to you, Maybe not to us. We think fate, chances, accidents. But let me tell you, most assuredly, that is not how God works. God has planned everything, everything, even before the foundation of this world, including your lives and mine. In Daniel, the book of Daniel, the prophet, chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar 
had this dream, this strange dream, which he woke up frustrated because he didn't know what it was about. He even forgotten about it. So the story you know, no one, not even those so-called wise men in that realm could do it, could bring that back. Of course, enter Daniel, the prophet, who wouldn't know either, except he and his companion prayed. And in the night, the vision appeared to him. The dream, and also its interpretation. Now, now I'm not here to get into that. But I'd like to just quote one thing that Daniel did when he woke up to offer praise to the God of Most High, who gave him wisdom and understanding before he went and told the king. He said, and it is he who changes the times and seasons. He deposes kings and causes kings to ascend. Of course, you know, he was going to tell Nebuchadnezzar, you're in trouble. You know the story. And everything was fulfilled. Within the day, 24 hours, this man who occupied the highest place, probably in the known earth at the time, was cast to the bottom, becoming like an animal wandering about in the wilderness within 24 hours. God is not mocked. God is God. I'd like to turn you, brothers and sisters, now to this thought of times and seasons, since we're now talking about it. I'd like to impress you that in God's work, whether it is in the Old Testament age or in the New Testament, he worked according to a plan, as I said already, and Without a schedule, there would be no plan. People who are project managers should know that. You don't have a plan without a schedule, because by definition, that is not a plan. So God had a schedule. That schedule means translates into times and into seasons. And in other places, I quoted this verse again in Jeremiah chapter 8. It says, even the stork, you know, the, the baby bird, you know, the, the bird that, you know, the stork. Even the stork in the sky knows its appointed times. And the turtle dove and the swallow and the crane, all birds, keep the time of their coming. I suppose this refers to these migratory birds of sorts 
that at a certain time in the year they know to fly south, always going back to the, the same location, and then at a certain time in the year they fly back. You know, I come from Orange County, California. We have the famous swallows of St. Juan Capistrano, supposedly. I've never seen them. <laughs> they come back uh, to the same place every year at the same time. But it says, but my people do not know my ordinances. Friends, sisters, I would like to talk to you about the times and the seasons that we're in. And not only about generally the times in the world, the seasons uh, of this world, I particularly want to talk to you about the times and seasons in the Lord's recovery. The Lord's recovery began in 1921 there in a city called Fuchao, and of course, it's in China, southern China, with a young man, truly a young man, because at that time he was barely 19 or 20. But God had chosen this particular vessel and in due course raised him up for a very, very unique commission, not just to be a minister of the word, because there are many, but to be a minister of the age, which there are few. There was a time that through the study, earnest study of the Bible, they realized some of them, he and his cohorts, other believers with him, that they, that denominations were wrong. The systematized Christianity was wrong. Organized religion was abominable to God. So they determined to leave that and simply to come together as believers, nameless, except that one name, Christ Jesus. To break bread in one accord, to remember the Lord. They knew very little because they were very young. They were certainly not mature in life for the same reason. But they were earnest. And because God was about to turn a season, the season to a new one, 
he would raise up these Chinese boys or young people far away from Christian Europe where his work has been for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. I mean, if you want to know Christianity, you don't go to China. You go to those cathedrals, you go to those Vaticans, you go to those Protestant churches. You go to those theological libraries. That's where you go. You don't go to this foreign, heathen, Buddhistic, ancestral worshiping place called China. And yet, that's how God works. Jesus would not be found in Jerusalem, but in this despised place called Galilee. And so everybody missed it. He was in Nazareth, a Nazarene, born in Bethlehem. And there was the first meeting of what we call the Lord's recovery today. So in three more years, brothers and sisters, it would be the centennial of the Lord's recovery, 100 years. And in these 100 years, it was a long journey and many things happened. The high points, the low points. There were times of exceeding glory. There were also moments of dark shame, of turmoils and of rebellions. But regardless of all of that, today, brothers and sisters, the Lord's recovery is still here. Amen. Not only is still here, it has spread and covered the entire earth in all the continents. It started with three persons in that first Lord's table in Fuchao. Today, there are hundreds of thousands of saints and thousands of churches, including those in America. But because I don't have the time to get into the details, I want to just give you a quick trip, uh, a quick tour, if you will, of our journey. So the recovery started there. Brother Watchman Nee is this young man that I'm referring to, was raised up and commissioned with this very unique commission, not just to preach the gospel, not just to teach the Bible, not just to recover certain scriptural practices according to the word, but he was commissioned with a commission of recovering Christ and the church. That Christ would be 
the centrality and universality of God's plan of the Christian existence that Christ would be everything. The reality of all positive things. Christ would be everything to God and Christ would be everything to man. In fact, he would be the one who filled all and in all. Not only so, but there would be the recovery of the church, not the degraded one, not the earthly one. I need not digress here, but look at what is happening to so-called the Church of Rome. Look at the scandal. Look at the evil. Even right now, am I right? It's in the papers, right now. Not that church. But the real church, which is the expression of Christ. His body. The genuine household of God. The real kingdom. The reality of the, king, of the divine kingdom. The new man. The wife of Christ. God's real army. Eventually that church that should bring the bridegroom back. This church, this church would be the body of that one who fills all and in all. That church is God's goal in his economy. So this young man was raised up to preach nothing but Christ and his cross, as did the Apostle Paul. For 30 years, he was given freedom to minister. And just 30 years of public ministry, today you can see the books, you can see the writings. It is revered. It has become classic, contemporary Christian classics. Everyone who is a genuine seeker of the inner life matters cannot but read Watchman Nee. He is the last, I would say, in this train of those who recover the many subjective aspects of the experience of the divine life. He was also, because of God's appointment, he was endowed with such an intellect, a very discerning mind, he was in, after he was introduced to all the Western top Christian classics on history, on theology, on life, on truth, on typology, on prophecy, on practice, 
and through his own reading of the word of God, filtered out all those that it, all that is erroneous and wrong and retaining those that would be right and truly scriptural. And by that, by that, he brought in a recovery, a recovery of the Lord. Thirty short years, and then he was imprisoned for the rest of his life, 20 years. Many of you don't, never thought of this. This man, 30 years preaching and 20 years in prison until he died. But thank the Lord, in his sovereignty, the Lord had prepared another co-vessel I use the word co-vessel. Another man that happened also to be a Chinese. Barely two years younger than the first. The name, of course, we know is Witness Lee. And when Brother Nee's ministry was forcibly ended with the political change, regime change in China. That ministry was passed on to this other man, Brother Lee. In the free world, outside of China. And there for 10 years in the island of Taiwan, he continued that ministry faithfully, with all faithfulness. He didn't veer, he didn't stray, he didn't start to do his own thing. He, he followed in that same vein, in that same path, faithfully, to speak the same thing and carry out that same identical commission. However, as the Lord would use him, slowly he began to come out under the shadows of Brother Nee when his own ministry became more and more formulated. And so, towards the end of those 10 years in Taiwan to the beginning of the 60s, Again, I have no time, but I can only say through God's timing and sovereignty, I said already, like clockwork, brought him to this country. According to him, neither Brother Ni nor Brother Lee ever have any thought to come to the West. They always had the thought that what the Lord commissioned to them was the East, was China. 
that the Lord's work in the West, even the Lord's recovery work, would be left to the Western brethren, the, the brothers in the West. But in God's sovereign arrangement, in a few years' time, from 1958, when he first set foot in this country, to 1962, and in between there was another visit, the Lord made it very plain and very clear to him that he was to leave the Far East and come here. Here's a man who can barely speak English, which doesn't mean his English was bad. In fact, his English was better than most people sitting here. I'm talking about conversational. I'm talking about speaking, spoken English. It was bad. In those early days, a lot of people strained to hear him and still could not decipher what he was saying. They just tried to connect the dots, you know. Fifty-something, a Chinaman, coming to this top country of the United States. What was he thinking? What was he doing? He was, in so many words, putting forth a challenge because he was not coming here to tell the people here something they knew already. You don't need him to do that. He came here with a new message, with a special word, with a lost word. From the Bible, the truth, the many truth that has been covered up, discarded, rejected, disowned, even by mainline Christianity. And he came back to speak it. That was, that was a daunting task to say the least. But the Lord was with him. And so I come now to our history. Since 1962, he was led to stay here and began his work in Los Angeles on the West Coast. And the first conference, many of us would know, is on the all-inclusive Christ in December of 1962. And before that, he and a couple of brothers prayed every day for 30 days for this country particularly for the seekers of this country, that the Lord would gain many who are disillusioned by the state of the Christians, who, was, who were looking for something deeper, something more, who were hungry for the truth and life. And so after that conference, he began his ministry here, and so to speak, the rest is history until now. This is, this is how long ago? This is 55 years ago. And by the way, I'd like to tell you, saints, 
during that first conference on Bonnie Bray Street in L.A. Brother Jim Ritsky is not here. If he were here, he will show you the picture, the one picture, photograph that was taken of the attendees of that, some of the attendees of that first conference. In between the conferences, Brother Lee would have talks with the saints. And interestingly, in that talk is when he quoted at least once this verse I read from Jeremiah 8 concerning the times and concerning the seasons. Deep within him, he realized God was turning the page yet again. That page was turned many times in the continent of Europe since the church went from Jerusalem through Antioch to Philippi and landed in Europe and has been in Europe ever since. Many of us should know that history. 500 years of degradation, the formation of the Church of Rome, of the papal system, the first pope in the 500s or so. Because it started with Constantine's embrace of Christianity. And thereafter, humankind enter, or in that civilization, enter into what is is so-called the Dark Ages. A thousand years when the Bible was locked up, superstition replaced the word of God. Light was gone and darkness prevailed. And the church, that abominable church, ruled. It was five, six hundred years ago in the 16th century when reformers were raised up to open the Bible again, come back to the scriptures again, starting with the justification by faith, Luther. But there were others of his contemporaries as well. And so the Lord's work of recovery began in that continent. And over time, through different ones that the Lord raised up, including the Wesleys, including one very famous man called Zinzendorf, very important figure in God's recovery, including certain people in this line of the inner life. And all this culminating in the 19th century with the so-called British Brethren or the Plymouth Brethren, where the knowledge of the scriptures, the truth, the prophecies were brought to the height. They saw the church, they saw the body of Christ, they left the denominations, including the Anglican church mostly, 
So much so that Watchman Nee in his famous book, The Orthodoxy of the Church, would consider the brethren, the Plymouth brethren, to be the fulfillment of Philadelphia in the book of Revelation. But that movement was short-lived before that century was over because of doctrinal and prophetic disputes. They broke up. They were divided. They split up. And today there are many, 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 many sects of the brethren. And they lost their testimony. We should be taught by this, brothers and sisters, because after Philadelphia comes Laodicea. But the Lord used them. But the interesting thing is, after that, it seems God has no way to move forward anymore in that very, very old continent. Very religious continent. That he's forced to go into a new place, a virgin place. And that would be China. I don't have the time to talk about actually so many details But almost overnight, almost overnight, in the beginning of the last century, that is the 20th century, at the dawn of it, the Lord's Spirit became a very, very unbelievable move in that heathen land to raise up young people to continue this recovery, this recovery. In a way, to begin a new work. But in another way, to begin a new season of the times. To turn a page. To raise up another group of his people. And I will tell you in my studies, one very, very pivotal person in this transfer. You know, God does not work just miracles through angels in this age. God works in the principle of incarnation always through man. And that would be one Margaret Elizabeth Barber. Emmy Barber, in short, who was that personal connection between England and China. She was supported by Panton. Do you know Panton? Who was a very, very known and spiritual and famous uh, leader of the Christians in England. He had a magazine called Dawn. And Miss Barber's writings, letters, correspondences, 
that even mention Watchman Nee. It's published in some of those Dawn magazines. You can find it today. There was a connection. It was through her that Watchman Nee was introduced to the best of the West. And this recovery flow that continued in China, but which was a new time and a new season in God's work, including the 10 years in Taiwan was barely 40 years, 40 years. By then, the recovery in the West, West meaning Europe, old Europe, was 400 years. 400 years. <clears throat> and this stream, what Brother Lee called this divine stream, pivoted and went to China for 40 years. 400 years and 40 years. And after those 40 years, it seems this flow cannot wait to come back to the West, as it were. But not to the old world but to the new, and that is to this country, the United States. Now, when I talk to you about America, United States, you must keep this in mind as your context. I'm not here just talking about Christopher Columbus. I'm not here talking about our founding fathers merely in that kind of historical sense, although all those were used by God to make all this happen. But, but, I want all of us to pay attention to this unseen, invisible, spiritual move. This divine history that is hidden in the human history. That is the history that we have to follow. So barely 40 years the Lord's, this divine stream, this divine move of the Lord, of his recovery, came here through one man. Actually, through these two men, you may say, well, by that time, Watchman was already in prison. I, I know that. But his books begin to be released, especially into the English language. The very first book that was published under his name was no less the normal Christian life in 1957 in Bombay, India. And that book overnight became a sensation among the seeking Christians, among the inner life believers. And that book opened the way, pioneered the way across the world and especially in the United States because it fell into hands of many free groups, seeking people, even people in Bible schools and seminaries. They were saying, Where is, who is this man? Then the next thing they heard somewhere, by word of mouth, is that this man, that is Watchman Nee's closest co-worker, is here, is in these United States. So invitations start to come, connections made. 
There was a little magazine called the Stream Magazine. Many of you don't know that such a magazine existed. Where conferences were announced. And Witness Lee, even at that age, because he was afraid to fly, was driven all across this country. This country. Even when there is one phone number, he would visit that city. All these seekers. So in those years, 1962, all the way to the late 60s, those would be the very tumultuous decade in the history of the U.S. Some of us who are older know about that. That is a decade of assassination, the decade of counterculture, the decade of the Vietnam War. And yet, in that very, very difficult and tumultuous decade, the Lord hiddenly began something in the U.S. And that is his recovery move. Some of the young people sitting here, perhaps your parents were there or your grandparents were there. In those years, first five years, our brother working hand in hand with Watchman Nee's books, began to contact the believers and even begin to bring in the believers. The Lord surely answered their 30-day prayer. And according to my study, <clears throat> from the year 1962 to roughly 1974, those first 12 years, it was a season, a season of revival. There was not only the Lord's recovery there, but there was a revival in the Lord's recovery. The light that broke forth from God's word as Brother Lee began to enter into the mature stage of his ministry. This is even before the life studies, brothers and sisters. The spirits, the presence of the spirit, more and more. And through these recover practices that we still treasure and do today, the calling on the name of the Lord. Amen? Amen. The praying with the word, what we call pray reading. And I would even say, may I say, the singing the spiritual singing and praises. You know, to this day, to this day, we have, we, in the recovery in this country, we would have not, we would not experience the same kind of prolific output of songs and hymns as in those years. And I don't mean some 
sweet and gooey songs. I'm talking about substantive hymns and songs that came out in those years. So that by the year, listen to me, 1969. Now you have to remember that year, 1969. <clears throat> seven years after, am I right, seven years? I think I'm correct, right? After the Lord's recovery began here, the church life was brought to a peak in a revival state. I can say something about it. It's because that was the precise year when I moved into the church life as a college student, as a sophomore in college. That, why I mentioned that year because that year was a peak in this revival. And in that peak year, the matter, you know about the seven spirits in Revelation? That was the year when that truth was released. Let me tell you, that is no small truth. That the spirit that we enjoy today in the New Testament is sevenfold intensified. You can go and read all the Christian books on the spirit. I challenge you to see if you can find that particular interpretation. This seven spirits was not, is not even in the so-called apostolic creed, which, which the typical fundamental Bible-believing Christians all subscribe to. Am I right? It's not even mentioned there. Much less interpreted. Well, Out of that years of revival, it was actually a kind of explosion, if you will, an organic explosion, a spiritual explosion, not by man's doing. No man engineered that because no human can manufacture a revival, a genuine revival. It was the Lord's doing. Many seekers, the top seekers came in and many other young people were brought in. And so in 69, that year also, that explosion resulted in a migration, a great migration that went into 1970, 71, 72, all over this country so that the major countries were all taken, so to speak, 
with lampstands and church life established in the major cities. From 1962 to 1974, the Lord's recovery grew from 30 people to at least 3,000 people, if not more. I told the brothers, some mathematically inclined brother did a study and said that represent a 50% annual compounded rate of increase. Do we have any CPAs here who know who would appreciate what I just said? <laughs> this is not simple interest. This is compounded interest over 12 years of time, 50% per annum. The rate of increase that we have never experienced ever again. Now, I'd like to continue briefly the history, and I don't know what time it is. What time is it? 11.05. Okay. All right. Let me just say something. This, conf this conference, the meetings, is going to be different. I consider this a huge big living room. I consider this is a family time. I don't want this to be official or formal. I rather want this to be pleasant and real. I like this time to be filled with the spirit. I was this time to be filled with singing and prayer. Okay? And I want none of us to look at the clock. But don't worry, we're going to eat lunch. You know, when you lose the sense of time, that by definition is eternity. If you still check your clock, you're not yet in the new Jerusalem. <laughs> now, but I must, I, I, I still have to be sensitive to the time. From then on, from 1974 on, except for a couple of years of what I call afterglow, a spillover from that, that glorious revived revival year, revival. <clears throat> the recovery faced its first turmoil and rebellion, and that would be in the second half of the 1970s. And in brief, that rebellion took out many dear brothers and sisters among us. In fact, mostly young people that were gained prior to that time. Many my age. And many churches were disrupted, church life for sure. And the faith, the boldness, 
the aggressiveness that we used to have that comes from the spirit, that comes from the word that we had starting from the 60s into the early 70s, faded away. That revival waned in the mid-70s. And instead, we came into another season, which is not a pleasant season. And I would call that a season of, actually, I quote Brother Lee, a season of dormancy. Not only was there an internal rebellion, but it was in those years, some of us remember, when the Christianity in this country began a frontal attack upon us. Vicious. You know, today many, you, you may not have that kind of appreciation. We were there. That's when the cult label was slapped on us and it stuck. We, we Christians, we were just calling on the Lord and praying the word. We were different, yes, but we fully are people of faith. We subscribe to the common faith. But overnight, overnight, we not only got marginalized, but we got what? What is the word? More than stigmatized. Huh? Demonized. We were put into the same category as some true cults. The worst kind, in fact. The kind that kill people. Some of you remember Jim Jones and People's Temple. And that massacre in Guyana. Some of young people don't know what I'm talking about. You should read the history. We were put right next to them, chapter to chapter, in one of the evil books that came out. By guilt, by association, we were that bad. And that's why we have to file lawsuit, not as Christian, taking Christians to court. It has nothing to do with that. We reject that kind of interpretation. But we are in a country of what? Of rights. Am I right? We are a country of law. And when we are maligned and slandered, this is a crime. And so for that reason, we appeal to Caesar as Paul did. But even in, it took us five years before the cases were settled in our favor, but the damage was done. That, those years of fighting with the opposition, 
further, further. Brought us into a state of, a stance of defensiveness. In my word, we enter into the bunker and we went underground, the Lord's recovery. We still had our church life. The faithful saints are still with us. Many are sitting here today. But as far as the impact, as far as the power, as far as the growth and increase, as far as the propagation of life and truth, which the Lord has commissioned to his recovery, we were brought to a standstill, more or less. But in those, as we move into the 80s, I would like to tell you something this morning that is something a little bit about our brother Witness Lee. Now, most of you don't know him. Even our young people to today have never even seen him. Some even have not haven't even seen him on video. You know, in the FTTA training, we always say, those who have seen Witness Lee, please raise your hands. By the year, those hands just keep dropping and dropping and dropping. Today, hardly anyone of the new trainees have seen them, even not on video. They don't know even... Witness Lee, it's just every, you just all, always say Lee, Witness Lee. They have zero idea who this man is. But I like, I like to tell you something about this man because I, among others, was with him. And particularly in the decade of the 80s, because it was in the beginning of the 80s that Brother Lee called or commission some of us, young men, young brothers, to join him in the work. He called us to be, go full-time and serve alongside him. Me, I was called at that time by him to start what today we call the Chinese-speaking work. There's something called the Chinese-speaking work. And so, in the 80s, whilst the gaining of the main and major local population, and you know what I'm talking about, all right? I'm talking about ethnically the Caucasian Americans, the um, African Americans, the um, Hispanic Americans, you put them together, they're over 90% of, of the demographics in this country. The Chinese, especially in those days, were point something percent. Not even 1%. Today, I think the Chinese population in this country is over 1%, barely. But Brother Lee had a burden. So in those years, that's when we begin to gain so many Chinese into the recovery in this country, especially in the metropolitan cities, maybe not in some smaller places where you are, 
but in the major cities. Even we bring in students because there are so many that have come to this country to study. They call them scholars and etc. And so in those years, in those years, all the way into the 90s, while the increase of the main local population was stopped, it was replaced by the increase of many of the Asian brothers and sisters. Now let me say something here, brothers and sisters. I'm, when I talk about these things, ethnic, uh, um, ethnicities and so on, I hope all of you do not have any thought of racism. All right? I don't. I don't. And we're not in that realm. But it was in those years, in those years, that the increase came so that the Lord's recovery in this country, the actual number did not drop. Actually, the number continued on a slight incline. But the growth is mainly among that category of people. It's not right, it's not wrong. I'm telling you the facts. And so today, thank the Lord, I thank the Lord, that so many Chinese brothers and sisters and their children who have populated the recovery. But not so with the other majority of the typical Americans. <clears throat> That's one thing I want to tell you. And may I say something here, since this is family talk? <clears throat> we're, in a, we're in a family, right? Okay, so I have a little bit more liberty. And that is because I know these things. I have to say it. That these dear ones, Asian saints, Chinese-speaking saints, they not only brought the number, they also, by God's sovereignty, also brought the finances to the recovery. And I speak this in an honest way and in a fair way, that those finances helped the Lord's recovery very much until today until today. I know it because a lot of these pass through my hands. I'm not making this up. And as I said, the third thing they did is the, the offsprings. They brought in the, the offsprings, the children in the recovery. Today, many of them, the second gen or third gen, very good brothers and sisters were from that rank, those ranks. The second thing I want to tell you in the 80s that many people don't know, <clears throat> and uh, I have Tim Noppy here because he supplied me with some information, and that is in the mid-80s. Listen to me, this is the mid-80s. The early 80s, 
the Chinese-speaking work started. Mid-80s, mid-80s, something else happened. Not for long, less than two years. Any one of you who were in the life study of the book of Acts in Irving, anyone in this room? A few hands. All right, thank you. In the book of Acts, it was a book on propagation of the resurrected Christ to spread the kingdom of God. Am I right? By the Spirit. And in that speaking, the speaking spirit was full of burden for the spread, for the preaching of the gospel. And so, in part due to that, our brother has the burden to punch a hole, so to speak, in this matter of the gaining of the majority of the local people, especially on the campuses. So it was that time that we sent out what we call gospel teams. Some of you have not heard about this. I will let you know. Gospel teams. And these were comprised of full-time brothers, uh, they were sent out, especially to where? To the southern part of this country, the Bible Belt region, Louisiana, uh, Tennessee, uh, where else? Uh, New Mexico, uh, where? Nebraska. And today, we still have some a church or two that was raised up as a result that is still here, Baton Rouge. And that would be where the main campus is of what? LSU, Louisiana State, you know, that football university. And what? And right now, a beautiful and thriving church in Knoxville, Tennessee, University of Kentucky, I mean of Tennessee. And so it's only a year, a year and a half or so, and that effort stopped. And the main reason why that effort stopped was because Witness Lee had the burden to go back to Taiwan, back to Taiwan, starting in 1984, all the way to 1989, five years, to do what? To study and to research in the word of God, in the scriptures, a way which later on is called the God-ordained way. A new way to what? To bring the churches into vitality to build up a universal priesthood of the gospel. To find a way to break through that dormancy among us. And five years he spent doing that successfully. And every intention he had was to come back to this country of the United States to work that out. Not only 
in Taiwan, but the United States. That was always in his heart. And he came back in 1989. Lo and behold, even before he came back, a second rebellion was already brewing. Or to use his word, fermenting. And this would be a rebellion that was worse than the first one in the 70s. Because some of the key co senior co-workers participated in that rebellion against the ministry and against the Lord's recovery. So as a result, he came back by that time. By that time, brothers and sisters, our brother was in his mid to late 80s. He had limited strength and he had to do something urgently required of him and that is to stabilize the churches, to recover the churches affected by that very horrific rebellion. Then, soon after that, in the early 90s, the Lord gave him the final burden in his ministry, that is to repeat, release what is called the high peak of the divine revelation. I think we all know this phrase. So he had little time and energy, but with what he had, he devoted himself still to speak and train us on the God-ordained way. And he mainly used the FTTA training to do that. And for three years, from 1993 to 1996, the year before his going to be with the Lord, he gave a certain special training for us Americans, and that would be called the vital group training. That was his last attempt to have that breakthrough. But alas, saints, regrettably, the churches was not in a condition due to the rebellion to work it out, to carry out it, that out successfully. And so he finished his course, brotherly, he completed his ministry, which was never affected by all these things, and he passed away in 1997, 21 years ago. Now then you say, tell us the rest of the story, what happened in these last 21 years. Okay, I will tell you the story. <laughs> this would be 20, 21 years without our brother. We hardly knew that day would come. We hardly knew, imagine how we could survive without that ministry's covering and supply. But, dear saints, this morning I want you to be encouraged Amen. that this is not Witness Lee's recovery. Amen. This is not Watchman Lee's recovery. Amen. Just as this was not J.N. Darby's recovery. And this was not Zinzendorf's recovery. This is the Lord's recovery. Amen. And if it's something of the Lord, the Lord himself will take care of it. 
So in these last 20 years, even in the absence of our brother's life ministry, his books are still with us. And there's a group of co-workers who at the end of his life was brought into the experience of blending. No one, no co-worker for his region, no co-worker for his own ministry. We're all here to be blended as one man. To carry out God's unique need. And by the Lord's mercy, they did. So I would like to tell you these 20 years was really full of the Lord's mercy to keep the Lord's recovery intact. Not only intact, but brought into a state of one accord, so much so that we did not experience it even when Brother Lee was alive. I can testify to that because I was one of those co-workers. Number two, I believe in these years, the saints prayed. Much prayer was offered by hidden saints, by sisters, by faithful men, praying desperately for the Lord's recovery. From where I'm perched, from my perspective as a worker, a co-worker, I see certain things happening in the recovery, in the church life. And I tell you many times, I just shake my head, shook my head in unbelief. I said, this cannot be. This is the Lord's hand. This is the Lord's hand. The Lord's hand is still with us. You know, all the rebellious ones, without fail, almost in every case, always exclaim, is that the word ekabar? You know the word ekabar? That means the glory has left. As if they are the glory. You know, when they leave, they always say ekabar. So the glory supposedly left with them. I like to tell you the glory has not left. It may not be expressed as it should be, as it was, but that glory has not left. I assure you, my brothers and sisters, not only so in these 20 years, the speaking of the Lord is still with us. Do you agree with me? Seven feasts a year. That is not just reheating some cold stuff. That is not microwaving some old food. I think we can testify to this. None of us are brotherly. None of us are witnessly. But this brother we was really used by the Lord. Amen? Amen? I don't know how the recovery would be kept together worldwide without that speaking. So by the way, brothers and sisters, stay in that speaking. Follow that speaking. That is not just a bunch of brothers. That is the Lord speaking among us still. In these years, not only so, 
the Lord raised up this something called the full-time training. You may think I'm biased because I help along with other brothers and, of course, Brother Lee to begin that training and today still engage with that training. That's so I'm saying something wonderful about that training. No. But one day, Brother Dick Taylor, many of you know who Dick Taylor is, right? We were just chatting. And he said, Brother Minoru, I cannot imagine the Lord's recovery today without that full-time training. I said, Brother, I really agree with you. I don't think that is a prejudiced statement. I think that's fair. Of course, many of our young people did not go to the full-time training. Actually, most of them did not. A small percentage, maybe 10% or less. But those who went over these years cumulatively, many have become the pillars, the key members, brothers and sisters. And even so many have become the leaders in the Lord's recovery today. Without that, we would not have the kind of future that we would like to see. Not only so, in these years, the Lord has begun to do a good work among the campuses. With the help of Austin, we raise up many teams, full-timers across the country. Today, without that, we would not have so many campus work. You know, I, I mentioned just now, uh, what? I misspoke universe in Kentucky. I've been Knoxville, Tennessee, right? Shows you how much I know about the South. <laughs> they sent us some pictures about the kids they have. Kids meaning, you know, college. Did, did any of you read? I, I got it. If you want to see it after the meeting come up, I'll show you. I, I, I was just praising the Lord. I said, what I see here, I expect to see in the coming 20 years all across USA. These lovely, almost farm kids, you know what I mean? I don't know if it's really farm or not, but, you know, local kids uh, gain for the Lord and gain for God's purpose. I, I got tran transported immediately back to those first 12 years. That's what I saw. And it's happening in other places slowly. I now serve in Northern California. Any of you been to Northern California? Any of you been to Reno, Nevada? You know, I don't know what your thought about Reno is. It's this game, western shoot it out town, you know, Reno, Nevada, right? Let me tell you, that city now is a high-tech city. Tesla, do you know Tesla, the electric car? Elon Musk, you know, the CEO, 
They just built the biggest building on the earth. On the earth. You can see it from the satellite in Reno. To build, not the cars. The cars are built in the bay. They build batteries. They want every house to have that kind of batteries or something like that. And now Amazon is there, Google is there, Apple is there, every, all these named uh, high-tech companies are rushing there. And they have a beautiful college. Young people, if you want to apply, apply to UNR. It's called University of Reno in Nevada. What good can come out of Nevada? It's a forgotten state next to Alaska, you know. Let me tell you, the Lord is doing something wonderful. Families are migrating in. They now, just this year, started a full-time team with six members. And they're going to invade UNR. Beautiful campus. They put tons of millions of dollars into it. And full of Nevada kids swarming that campus. Brothers and sisters, I say all these things. Not only so, in these years, we started the Lord's Move in America. We call it GTCA. You know what that means? Gospelize, truthize, and churchize America. Lord's Move in America. Today, we have something called Bibles for America, to give away the books, the Bibles. There's a facility there. We have various migrations. The Lord actually has been doing quite a lot in these last 20 years. But now I come to my conclusion. But deep within me, deep within me, there's a longing. And maybe because I was there then, in those early days, and maybe because I have been through these years of dormancy or wintertime, and maybe because these 20 years of some signs of spring is inspiring me. I don't know why. Maybe all of the above. Whenever I touch the Lord, whenever I pray, on a daily basis... I can only testify to you. I pray the prayer of Habakkuk. Lord, recover your work in the United States of America. Do something. Restore us. Restore us. And bring us to a place, a point, a situation, a condition that is even more glorious than the first 12 years. Amen? Amen? I'm not here to wax nostalgic. I'm not here hungry for the good old days. Those days are over. Brothers and sisters, I would like to tell you the glorious days are ahead of us. The years of revival are ahead of us. The Lord is not done with the U.S. In spite of all the craziness out there, 
You know what I mean in society. In spite of all these things, I tell you, the United States is still the top leading country on this earth. That has not changed. And the base of the Lord's recovery is still the United States. And so what that translates into is that the Lord's recovery, the saints, the churches, must be strong and prevailing. In 1960s, this country was probably barely 200 million people, probably less than 200 million. Today, 325 million people. In those years, I told you, we rose our number up to three, 4,000 in the mid-70s. Today, our total number, I would not go more than 25,000 saints in the United States. With less than 300 churches, to be exact, 294. If you ask me, and I think if you ask our brother Lee if he's here with us, are you happy? Are you satisfied? On the one hand, we should be full of thanks. We should worship the Lord. We should have no complaints. I tell you, even this weekend to have a conference like this, I thank God. But on the other hand, when you consider what the Lord wishes to see, what God's economy deserves, what the Lord's recovery should be, I would say today we should not have 25,000 saints. We should have at least 100,000 saints. Do you not agree with me? We should not have 300 churches. We should have 1,000 churches. There's still so many cities and towns without a lampstand. There's still so many campuses, important primary campuses across this country without us, without our work. There's still so many seeking people. You may think today U.S. is not seeking. Let me tell you, According to our, the survey we look at, not so. We have less people today, especially with the millennials, who say they are affiliated with any Christian church. That has dropped. That has dropped. But those who say that they are Christian and they are seeking something spiritual, I tell you, that has increased. People today still need and want God. People today still need and want the truth. The real truth. I'll get into more of that because of time. What time is it? Oh my goodness, see? I'm not even giving you time to testify. Testify. 
But let me just conclude. Let me just conclude. Brothers, sisters, I give you all this history rather in depth to give you a base, a context for the burden for this weekend. So I look to you to pray and to be open and to seek the Lord together this weekend for what he wants us to do, especially in middle America, in the Midwest here. Okay? I think I better stop. Now, I don't have time right now, but let me just say this much and I'll sit down. So bear with me, okay? Bear with me. There's a conference going on in San Francisco right now. And that conference I go to without fail in the last five or six years. This year I told them, sorry, I'm not coming. I have more important things to do. (laughs) I must take care of something more important, and that is come to Chicago to be with the saints in the Midwest. And I meant it. And I meant it. But I said, I have not forgotten about you. So this weekend, they are spending four meetings to cover the proclamation of the Jubilee. So we prepare four outlines for them. And I wrote four songs for them, three songs for them, specifically for this weekend. But, but since I wrote it, I brought it here. And I like to use the next meetings to sing these songs. All right? Not right now, but these coming meetings. So you got one in your hand, I think, the sheet in your hand. You just bring it back. To those of you who are musical, you can start singing already. You know the tune. All right? So this weekend, we're going to conclude with the proclamation of Jubilee. To the land of America and all its inhabitants. This is the burden. So I stop here. Dear Saints, how about have a little prayer with your neighbor? Okay? And we'll have some testimonies. Amen.